released the kids through grade four to Children's Church. We intentionally put communion in the part of the service so that they can be part of this. It's important. One of the things I love the most about seeing the, the Jewish traditions is how rich it was for the kids to be a part of that, to ask the questions and to know. Parents, this gives you a great opportunity to speak into the lives of your children. I had a conversation with a woman in between services whose, whose son yesterday, he, he met Jesus about a month ago. And he was so excited yesterday morning when he woke up to know that he was coming to church to take communion for the first time. And he was so excited, and they went over the process, and, and he shared some things that he needed to confess, and, and they came, and, he was, and, and they were standing out in the foyer a little too long, and he said, Mom, we've got to get in. Amen. Amen. Yeah, teach your children. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are today. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse 12 and forward, and uh, you know that we've been looking at, uh, perhaps, you don't know, but if you've been here, you know that we've been looking at letters that live God's timeless message to the New Testament church, the early church, and been looking at the gospel, and uh, it's been rich. I, I pray it's been rich for you. It certainly has been for me, and uh, Today we're looking at the truth that the gospel reveals our goal. The gospel reveals our goal, and, um, and we're in Philippians chapter 3. It's interesting to me as you consider and think that right in the third chapter of Genesis, the serpent comes up and says to, to Eve, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. And I think the struggle ever since has been to understand and realize that, yes, we will die. There is a death that comes to each of us. And we live in a culture and a day and age, and I think it's permeated all the way back to Genesis 3, that denies death. We live in a, a death-denying culture. Many times we don't think about it until it comes to a funeral and and then you can't escape thinking about it. But even there, I've noticed that people resist thinking about the truth of what death is and what it does. Two years ago today, just about an hour ago, two years ago today, my dad breathed his last of earthly air and breathed his first breath of heaven's air. I am so glad for the cross. I am so glad for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will see my dad again one day. And my mom. And so what does the resurrection of Christ mean for us? And what is our goal? And what is it that we have our eyes fixed on? And because we live in a, in a death-denying culture, do you, this, this isn't heaven. You get, you get that, right? Anybody get that? 
right? We, we are not in heaven. This, this isn't heaven. And, and Jesus said, in, the, in this world, you're, you're going to have trouble. So, so we understand and we know that, but, but what we're torn between all the time is trying to make this place so comfortable. We're, we're trying to make our lives here what our lives are promised to be in the future. So our text today helps us put that in perspective, and I, I pray that by the time we're done with it, that will have happened. We're, we're reading in Philippians 12, but I'd like to start in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Philippians. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. You'll remember last week we looked at the truth that Paul had thrown aside everything that would was of, of value to him. He considered it rubbish. He considered it dung. He considered it manure compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And he was, he was putting everything aside so that he could know Jesus and, and grab hold of that knowledge of him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so the resurrection power And then he goes on to our text for today. And he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, Paul says, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. God, thank you for your word. It's living and active. And Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts to hear your word today, to hear the truth that you have to speak into each of our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word for us. Clear our minds of the clutter that would keep us from hearing your truth, Lord, from the distractions. I pray that we'd be in your presence that you'd change us and shape us into the men and women that you have designed for us to be. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Our text today reveals, Paul says, you need to run the race to win the prize. Run the race to win the prize. And the first thing we see is that maturity is needed. So this race that we're on, and, and it's this race that, that we're running toward eternity. 
And as I said, we're, so many of us, we're, we're trapped in the, in the chasings of this world that, that we don't understand and we don't have our eyes fixed on the prize that, that God has in mind. Now, this text that we're looking at today is written to this church in Philippians and the Philippian church, and, and it's written to those who are believers, and, and he's, he's, he's specifically speaking to them. He's talking about the race that they're on and that, that race to win the prize and, and what is their goal. And he says, not that I've already obtained all this. As he talked to them in the last section and he said, man, I, I do everything I can to know Jesus. Everything I put off so that I can know him and know him intimately. It's the, the main thing that I chase. But he says, listen, I haven't arrived. I've not yet arrived. I don't, I don't know him. You see, Paul understood and knew that Jesus took hold of him. Jesus took hold of Paul so Paul could take hold of Jesus. On that road to Damascus, Jesus reached down and grabbed Paul so that Paul could grab him. He, he understood that in a way that, that he tried to make clear to this church. It reminds me of the verse in 1 John 4.19 that says, we love him because he first loved us. Because he loved us, we love him. Because he grabbed hold of us, now our goal has changed. Once, once you come to meet Jesus and you accept him as your savior and you trust him, your goal changes and you begin to look toward that prize. See, we have the already and the not yet aspect of our salvation. If you come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you already have the power of God inside of you. You already have been set free. And you already know Jesus in a way that, that you never knew him before. But you do not yet know him in the way you will. There will come a day when you will stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be no sin between you and him. Amen. And you will see him face to face and you will look into his eyes. And he will, he will scoop you up, we're told in Scripture, and he'll take you to the Father and he'll say, Father, here's Chuck. Father, here's Jill. Spotless, blameless. And we will know him. Oh, not perfectly, not ever. But we will know him in a way we can't imagine. And that's our goal. Eternity. And Paul says... Listen, maturity is needed because the race isn't over. He says, I haven't attained all this, and I have not already been made perfect. I am not in the presence of Jesus. I do not yet know him in this way. I have not accomplished what I need to. He says, I, I, I have not done that yet. I, I'm working towards it, but lest you think that, that I'm there, I have not arrived said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In the, in the ESV, it says, I, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on to this because Jesus took hold of me. Because he loves me, I love him. Because he took hold of me, I'm chasing him. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, he says. I, I'm not there so the race isn't over. And Paul's saying, listen, the race isn't over till we see Jesus. When we see him, then we win the prize. But until then, it's not over. 
So keep going. No looking back. The next thing he says is, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, no looking back. I talked to some people who run races. I, I don't run races. <laughs> if you get all this moving that fast, it's really not all that pretty to look at. So, you know. But I talked to some people who run races. And you don't look back. You keep looking ahead. Because if you start looking back, you, you get tripped up on what's lying in front of you. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, two things I think he's saying. I think he's saying, number one, don't allow yourself to be identified by the things that have defeated you. Okay? Don't, don't bring those things that have defeated you in the past, that you've brought before him, that you've repented of, that you've confessed, and you've been forgiven. Don't bring those things from the past and put them up in front of you so you can trip over them again. Jesus died to pay the penalty for that. He died to take that away. Your sin, your guilt, and your shame, forgiven. Don't bring that up as you're running this race towards the goal. Don't bring it up. Don't trip over it. The second thing I believe he's saying is don't live on your past accomplishments. Okay, you know, sometimes people's testimony is 33 years ago I met Jesus as my Savior and I memorized a verse and that's it. And it's like, wow, no. See, don't, don't live on your past accomplishments because you, you bring those up here and it keeps you from running forward. So forgetting what is behind, one thing I do. He says, I, I forget what's behind. And then he says, I, I, I strain toward what is ahead. See, what happens is if you, if you, if you bring those things from the back, if you, you bring those things that's defeated you, you trip over them. If you, if you bring the things that have been your past successes, then you begin to coast. And, and the danger in coasting, you understand, is when you start coasting, you don't go fast unless you start and go down. And our goal isn't down, our goal's up. Amen? And you don't coast up. You, you don't coast up. You strain to go up. I watched the Tour de France. I watch it. And and when you watch that, okay, those guys start going up those hills. I mean, are you really supposed to ride a bike up a hill like that? And they're straining. You see that? That's our goal. Our goal is up. And we forget what's behind us, and we're straining towards that which is ahead. Paul says, man, you run hard. You run hard. You labor to gain the not yet of your already. Force your way towards that. The finish line in sight. And press on toward the goal, Paul says. The finish line is in sight. I'm pressing on toward that goal. And, and, and we see that, that, that our goal is eternity. And in the second chapter, we looked at the truth that everybody's going to make this step. Everyone's going to step into the presence of the Lord Jesus. And, and, and everyone will kneel before him. Every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us, 
because of his grace and his mercy and, and his ability to change us. Some of us will kneel down in the adoration that we've had for him here and it will be perfected in his presence and we will bow down and we will declare the name of Jesus and we will move into heaven with him. But those who denied him here will step into his presence. They will kneel before him and they will understand and know that he is all that he said he is and more and that their denial of him was an eternal decision that will move them away from his presence after they've tasted the amazing aspect of it. And for eternity, they will be in conscious torment because of that. We each step into eternity. Paul's speaking here of those of us who have eternity as our goal with Christ. Looking for the prize. I'm, I'm straining toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And listen, that, that prize is knowing Jesus. Paul says, for whose sake I've lost all things. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in some ways, I think what he meant by that is for me to live is to know him as much as I can. And when I die, I'm going to gain the full knowledge of him. Amen. And that's what it's about. So that we realize the goal of our faith. Our faith becomes sight. And then he says, this is, this is how all of us who are mature should look at this. All of us should be looking at it this way. And he says to this church in, in, in Philippi, each one of us who know Christ need to be looking at it this way. Because that's what you've been saved for. You've not been saved to be as comfortable as you can here. You've been saved to make a difference for Jesus here as you wait for there. With eager expectation and forward movement. If on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And this is huge. What that says is it's, it's this constant growth that happens. It's a, a constant growth that happens. There's no stagnant work here. Let us live up to what we've already attained. Listen, the amount of knowledge you have of Jesus, live up to that. Grow to know him more and keep growing in who you are as you reach forward to that maturity that God has designed for you. So are you one who is mature? Are you running the race as a mature follower of Christ? And do you have a proper perspective of where you are in the race? Run the race to win the prize. The next point I think Paul says is you need to partner with the right running mates. Partner with the right running mates. And this is huge. Now, I did some research on this. Again, having never run a race, I thought... Let's take a look at what this means. And there's somebody in the church I talked to who runs races to, to gain some, some clarity on this. And I, because of the way that I use Karen in my illustrations, she said, I'm not going to help you unless you don't mention my name. So I can't mention her name from the front is what I promised. So no, um, but anyway. And so she helped me understand the, this idea of pacing. And, and what does it mean 
to have somebody pacing you, and what does it mean to pace somebody else? I found an article on the internet. Isn't that great? You can find anything. When chasing world records, elite-level runners have pacers for various portions of runs, both track and road races. They may have one pacer to get them through the first half, another pacer through the next portion, 